purpose of this seminar was to try to, to, try to ask some practical questions. So here's, here's the first one. You guys can respond as you want. Uh, Robert, in your first talk, you mentioned you know, the fortification, accommodation, domination. You've mentioned it several times. Dr. Um, in yours, you, were, you, you mentioned the reductionistic view of the gospel. So here's my general question. It's, it's more one of how do we repent if we find ourselves in the fortification, accommodation camp, if we find ourselves picking the incarnation or picking the resurrection, how do we give us some practical soul? How do I repent of that when I find myself in one of those camps or one of those categories? Um, well, our weakness as preachers and communicators are specific <laughs> applications of what to do. So, um, might want to ask you that because you're really good at telling people what to do and we're not. But um, I would say what I have discovered is if, so take the one that I think, like I said, our church has historically struggled with. Uh, would be a fortification mindset. I would say a, a practical way out of that or a practical way of repentance is, is to do what you have been encouraging us to do, what all the civic leaders have been encouraging us to do, which is to get out of the fortress and just engage, listen, um, build relationships. Not even to, I mean, of course, share the gospel, all those things, but but even just for your own discipleship and repentance. It's kind of like the race thing where, um, you know, where you're so right to say you don't know what you don't know. Um, you, you just need to sit down with minority cultures and, and ask and listen. And um, the best way to get out of your fortress and out of that mindset, I think, is to just engage the world out there and let it disciple you, let it bring you to repentance, let it show you, oh, it's not what I thought. It's people aren't what I thought. There, there's there's some nobility here. There's some beauty here, and and of course that's our whole thing is we want to redeem culture. So it's 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 an exercise ultimately toward redemption, but just as an act of repentance. Go meet people. You can start with your neighbor. Good. So so the assumption of your question is that there are some people who are repentant. Okay. So. <laughs> I hope that's true, but the reason why I bring that up is um, I think that's extremely significant. Um, if you sense as though you've grown up and had the mindset of, a, of an individual who yeah. has this uh, fortification posture, for you to have awareness, awareness and to even admit that that in and of itself is a, a huge moment in your life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think if, if you have that kind of a, a repentant, humble posture, then I'm hoping as I spend some time with, are some of the elders here who are going to be meeting with us at five? Are, are some of you out there? Uh, I, I think um, the church is going to have to get organized to mobilize. So we're... The church, the leadership is going to have to provide good 
direction. Sure, as, as Robert mentioned, do some natural organic things, be humble, invite your neighbor, have a different perspective on, on, on your neighbor who, who has a different worldview and, and, uh, and, 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 and have the willingness to, to serve. You know, those are all basic Christian uh, posture of being a follower of Christ. But in terms of how you're going to participate and leverage your or time, talents, and, and treasure uh, through the T, uh, TCPC community here, I think uh, some leadership is going to have to be provided. And I'm excited about that because I, I, think, I think that moment has come. A little late, but, <laughs> but better late than ever. Okay. Um, second question. Uh, Dr. Rome said, cultural preferences, and maybe I, I hope I get this quote right, quote, cultural preferences that get absolutized, I'm not sure that's a word, but we'll make it one. Made it up. Okay. Become cultural prejudices. Is that the quote? Will, will lead. Will lead to okay. cultural prejudice. I, I'd love to kick that around. Um, explain that a little more, drill down into it, and how... How have you seen this in the life of the church, a church, that kind of thing? Um, so I'll say the phrase again. Cultural preferences that get absolutized lead to cultural prejudices. Yeah. Uh, some things are just different. Don't place a moral value on it. Um, and I try to use that one example that, that different cultures have different view of time. Um, you can say the same thing about musical preference. It's not necessarily racial culture. It could be, it could be just different aesthetic sensibilities. Right? So, so I know for many of my folks in, in Boston and even, even to myself, there's a certain arrogance, right? I mean, when you think of Boston, that's true. I mean, we're arrogant about everything. But, but even in Boston, we have, uh, I think, three or four members who, who play in the BSO, Boston Symphony Orchestra. We have the assistant conductor uh, of, uh, of, of the BSO. So, beautiful musicians, but they have an extremely high view of music. They're very sensitive about sound, okay? <laughs> and um, so if they hear one of our bands kind of doing the indie rock and all that, oh, it's too noisy. Let's just bring it down. And so, so you can get to a point, depending on what your aesthetic preference is, to say, oh, you know, you, you, you minimize other genres of, of music because it's overly simplistic. Okay? And, and, and that's what ends up happening. And so you demonize those other groups. So I'm just using another example. That's not a racial, uh, a cultural preference, but it could be a, a, an aesthetically a cultural uh, a difference. And, and, uh, and same thing, the way that Easterners think of Kentucky, as I was speaking with some women back there, they were kind of educating me about uh, how arrogant Bostonians are. And, <laughs> and, uh, and of course, I, I kind of quickly separated myself uh, from, uh, from them. But, uh, and the way that folks here from Kentucky, what, what do you say, Kentuckians? Kentuckians. Yeah, Kentuckians, yeah. Uh, Kentuckians uh, view the people in the Northeast. So, so we have all sorts of prejudices. Do y'all want to hear what the Northeast thinks about us? Should I ask him that? Yes. 
You don't want to know. I, 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 want, to, I want to go out on a good note. Um, <laughs> we were at dinner. Uh, we were at dinner two nights ago, and uh, a, 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 a famous name that were remaining nameless uh, was texting with him at the dinner table, and uh, and he showed it to me, and he and he said, "I'm in, I'm in Kentucky." Uh, speaking at a conference at Taste Creek Prez, and the guy texted back, they let Asians in there? Actually, that wasn't a term that he used. Okay. Or Koreans. No. Um, so, before I came here, okay, now you guys are forcing me. And I'm not, <laughs> come now, on. Now, 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 now you're dragging me into the mud here. Um, my youngest daughter, Right? You have to understand, she grew up in the city, she thinks like a Bostonian, and, uh, and, and so, so she, she knows that I've spoken at many conferences down here in the South. And, and she said, hey, Dad, has, she, she texted me and said, has anyone called you an Oriental yet? That's what she said. She texted <laughs> me, right? Okay. And I said, no, honey, I'm not in South Carolina. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, because that's what happened. One time I was in South Carolina, and, and I'm, the, the woman was sweet, good intentions, and saying, oh, I love Orientals, and I'm like, uh, okay. You mean like Oriental rugs, or? And I think, again, when we, when we have a very narrow view of a certain kind of geographical, cultural place, <laughs> then we just, we, we just universalize whatever that assumption is, and then, and then kind of it leads us to a point where we're unwilling to listen. Mm. And let me tell you, and please don't mishear this, um, I, I told, uh, I forgot who, who it was, uh, somebody, um, the last couple of days that I have felt very comfortable here, like very welcome, your, your community is very warm, and what I'm saying is, is that this hasn't felt to me like I'm in a foreign place. Right? That's probably because of the strong gospel sensibilities, because of the vision of the leadership and your pastor and what he's trying to do here. I mean, it's, I feel like, hey, I'm here with my people. Mm. Right? And, and yeah. I think that's a great credit to you because I come from a different culture. I'm not talking about racial culture. I mean, there's a difference there too, but I'm by culture. I'm talking, I come from the Northeast, right? So, um, mm. so that's why I think it's important for us to learn and to listen. So be careful that you don't communicate about very, very important issues uh, through social media. Not helpful at all, not helpful. And be careful what you kind of uh, uh, post and things like that. It's better to befriend someone who's from a different racial culture or a different generational culture or a different aesthetic culture uh, and, and to listen and, and to learn. And I think that you would be a lot more measured in your response or critique or criticism that could potentially lead to cultural prejudice. And... Um, so, right, I mean, hopefully that, 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 that you will have a, a better impression of or Orientals now that I've been here. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So, you know, there's, 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 a, there's a drift towards racial or ethnic prejudices. There's cultural prejudices. There's generational prejudices. Yeah. 
uh, the, 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 which kind of goes back to our first question of places we can repent, those, maybe some others. All right, third question. Um, this, is, this is one I hope we kick around with the elders and deacons tonight too. I was very intrigued and, I, and I th- some of the conversations I've been having, you mentioned last night a good vision for Tate's Creek would be to think of ourselves much like the U- university thinks of itself or the UK hospital thinks of itself in terms of a regional resource, regional hub, I don't even know the right word. Uh, drill down into that a little bit. How, how does a church like ours think regionally, live locally, you know, that whole, but, but think like the, the university for our state? Yeah. Our city. You know, when you meet certain leaders, you know that they have leadership quality, right? When you're in a room with a leader, you know it. I'm talking about a good leader, not a self-promoting charlatan. I'm talking about a good leader. You know you're in the uh, presence of leadership. What, this is just my thoughts, right? I mean, the the, the leadership's gonna lead the church uh, in the way they sense that God is leading them, but um, there's a difference between a leader and a leader of leaders. I think Tate's Creek is a leading church for churches, not just a leading church but it needs to be a, a leader of leaders, if you understand what I'm trying to say. That's a pretty big observation, but I think that that's the kind of church, I think that's the kind of moment, and this is what I was gonna share a little bit with, that's the, I, I think it's here. I think the raw ingredients, I think the, the, the Kairos time is, is here. I think that even though the budget's small, the budget follows the vision, I think you need to you need to restructure some of some of the way you or, you're organized and the way you lead. But but I have so much. There's so much potential. But what? But <laughs> so much potential. Which means we haven't done anything yet. <laughs> yeah. As far as you know, you might be an utter failure. But but uh, yeah. But there's a lot of potential. Okay. But <laughs> I, I'd like I, I, and I appreciate that, and I truly believe you wouldn't. Uh, I truly believe you don't say that everywhere you go, and, and that's not flattery. Uh, but I would love for just why do you say that? What, 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 are, what, are, what are ingredients that you look at that you say, okay, I feel like we're, this, this church could really be on the, you know, on the edge of something significant that the mm-hmm. Lord's doing here? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's a, a strong gospel DNA here, at least with the leadership that, that I've, uh, I've met. Um, and there's a rich theological vision that wants to engage culture and to be able to see cultural renewal. And you can't, I mean, no leading church has that vision unless they want that to to come into effect, right? You you don't talk about cultural renewal in a vacuum. See, churches that are simply, let's say, large churches or or a a leading church, a flagship church, a resource church that doesn't necessarily invest in the next generation or engage culture, they don't talk like that. Everything will be internal. Everything will be intramural. They don't have a vision for what's out there. It's like, hey, what can we do? How can we just grow the stuff that we have here and grow our campus? And not that those things cannot happen, but my sense is that there's a vision here for city growth, not just for church growth. And I believe that if you have a desire and a vision for the city, your city to grow, then guess what? Can't happen without the church growing. 
So you get both. You know, it's like C.S. Lewis again. Sorry for invoking him all the time, but um, he's English. It's easy, it's easy to do. C.S. Lewis said that, that when you have a hunger in you, an appetite, then that means that God has created that appetite and therefore you need to get food to eat it. If you have a sexual desire, that means God has created you and, and so there will be uh, a husband or wife and you can engage in, in that physical consummation. When you have a desire in you that the natural world cannot meet, that means that you've, you've been created for another world. And so, so I believe that, that there is an impulse here that wants to, to reach the, that outside world, it cannot be fulfilled internally within this, within this community. And so, again, I'm, I'm very excited uh, to see that. Very excited that a, that a church like this here in Lexington uh, exists, and it's been a privilege of mine to be able to meet your pastors and, and to be able to uh, spend some time here. There are other things that I, I'll probably share later on with the, with yeah, the leadership, but I, I think uh, well, there's a lot of potential. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you want to add anything? Nope, that's great. Okay, so getting, getting ultra practical here, one, one, of the, <clears throat> one of the things you said this morning was pray for city growth. And it brought to my mind, I remember, if I can share a little bit here for a second, um, when I was, uh, had, had just become a Christian, you know, I was 21, and I was stirring in my heart, and I began to just ask him for help to reach my team, to reach my campus. And you mentioned the campus is like a micro city. And so I would take my journal, and I would write in the back the names of all the guys on my team, and I had the, the rosters from all the other athletic teams. And, and I would pray through the names of the teams and the different issues, and I would write various issues of, that were going on on my team. Guys, you know, parents divorced, or they got drunk and got in jail the night before, you know, those kind of things. One Saturday morning, I'm, 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 I'm going through my list, and I'm praying, and I get to Ray Greco, and I pray, God, pray for Ray Greco. His, his family was going through a hard time, and he was having a hard time, and it was like 9 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, and I said, Lord, I just pray for Ray Greco that sometime this week you'd give me the opportunity to talk to him. 22 seconds later, what it was, knock on the door, Ray Greco standing there with his Bible. <laughs> and it was that moment for me that clicked, Will, if you want to see something happen, Pray about it happening. Pray that God opens the doors. Pray that something that you couldn't have manufactured, you couldn't have seen coming happens. And so when you said this morning, pray for city growth, I just, what are those things that we could, on our journals, say, Lord, I pray that you would do this in the economics. I pray that you would do this in the political structure. I pray that you do this in the public transportation. I pray, what, what are those things that we could start saying you know, those sort of Nehemiah arrow prayers. I need you to do this, Lord, to open up the chance. What are some of those? Yeah. Do you remember that scene when Jesus is with his disciples? And, and uh, I think in, it's in the Gospel of Luke. And they try to, to cast out this demon uh, of this one uh, leader. And they couldn't do it. And Jesus shows up and says, what's going on? And, and the guy pretty much throws uh, the disciples under the bus and says, yeah, yeah, they tried to do it. But it didn't work. And my son's still having seizures. And... And, uh, and, and Jesus heals that boy and casts the demon, exercises that demon uh, out of the evil spirit out of that boy. And then as he's walking away with his disciples, they ask him, hey, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? He says, there are certain things that can only happen through prayer. It's very powerful. Mm. Some manuscripts say prayer and fasting. 
And uh, so I do believe that for many churches, our prayers are insipid. Praying for Aunt Sally, not that we shouldn't pray for Aunt Sally, but, and, uh, you know, praying for these little things, you know, we, and those things are important, but, but we don't have big kingdom prayers, what we call frontline prayers. Um, not just kind of maintenance prayer, but frontline prayers about seeing cultural renewal take place uh, through this particular church network and other gospel preaching, gospel shape uh, churches in the area. And so I think what you need to uh, pray for is that God would mobilize, again, this sort of spirit, right? Spirit of repentance and spirit of having a desire to, to see, uh, this, uh, see the, uh, the city of uh, Lexington uh, looking more and more like the city of God. And uh, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You know, you know, praying these kind of big kingdom prayers and, and also uh, uh, praying that, uh, that, that your church will have opportunities uh, to be able to work with civic leaders. And I think that's already happening. I, these are phenomenal leaders, the principal and the mayor and, the, and the, the athletic director and all that. Great. Continue to partner with them. Build relationships with them. Uh, make yourself available. Serve them. One of the things that we're trying to do as a church in partnership with other churches, and they're not all reformed and, com and confessional, you know, and they even disagree with us on the women's issue, but we decided we're going to come together. Our city in Boston, six, uh, 2030, is celebrating our 400th year anniversary, right, as a city. I mentioned that to my Scottish friends. They say, ah, what history do you have? <laughs> you know, uh, University of St. Andrews is 600 years old. It's the third oldest English-speaking university in the world after Oxford. But anyways, so anyways, in the United States, we've got more history than most places. So 1630, Lexington 1775, you've got some history too. Um, and, uh, and so we decided, how can we partner with a mayor's uh, campaign for the vision for the city of 2030? How can we participate in that? So we're in the progress of speaking with, speaking with the mayor's office about how we as faith-based organizations and churches can partner with them and to be able to serve our church for the common good. So, so you know, praying for those kind of moments, no one is going to reject if you come forward. No civic leader is going to reject you if you say, hey, hey, how can we serve? We don't want anything in return. Just want to serve. We want, we want our people to volunteer. So some of you are familiar with Kevin Palau's ministry uh, in Portland and how he has partnered with the, the mayor there, uh, uh, who's an openly gay man, and, but, but yet there's this interesting relationship with the mayor and Kevin Palau and how they've, they've mobilized churches to serve uh, the city of Portland. Those are the kind of beautiful things, and I think that, that uh, the, the connections are, are already there. So those are the things that I think uh, you should... Um, pray for and possibly praying for a, a full-time director of faith and work and justice and mercy and how those people will be able to, the men or women, be able to, um, uh, to create vocational groups, to be able to continue to cultivate the discussions that are being presented here by Robert and Allison and, and others in the arts. So. You're from Lexington, so yeah. how would you answer that? Uh, well, I'd answer it. Uh, <clears throat> well, let me say something just on the idea of prayer, and, and it's something that I think is important to say um, that we talked a little bit about in our pastor's time, 
with you, but I, I think, uh, you know, I, I just, a helpful distinction that I think I want our congregation to hear is that all of these discussions and even uh, James Hunter's influence um, on, on, on the way I view culture and, and the way you view culture, um, the tendency or the, uh, the, the, the pitfall that you can, you can gravitate toward is to see cultures as just mechanisms that if you have a proper understanding of how culture has changed, da 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 and you do all the pieces, you can create a better culture, um, which that's what James Hunter does because he's a brilliant cultural expert at UVA and he spends his life doing nothing but studying cultures and how ch- cultures change and all this stuff, and he comes up with data and writes his assessment, and that influences stuff like this, like us. But we are not pragmatists here. We are not, we're not, we're not, um, the, the thing I appreciate, appreciate, and we talked about this distinction in our time, where, whereas James Hunter is just purely, this is how cultures change, and this is how you can do it. Keller, um, who Hunter influenced greatly, but Keller is a revivalist at heart. Um, he, he's, he's a man who prays at heart. And he would say, Manhattan has changed. Yes, because he's been, because Redeemer has been very savvy in its vision and thoughtful in its cultural engagement, stuff like that. But I, I think he would say, because we pray. They pray a lot. And they prayed a lot when they went there, and they prayed a lot. And so let us not get off balance Without, without understanding that we need to be a church praying for revival, praying for God to drop his spirit on, on the bluegrass, and that ultimately um, that, that's, that's what drives this thing. Mm-hmm. And we need to be thoughtful about, about how to strategically engage the city. Also. But if you don't pray, unless the Lord build it, we labor in vain. Um, so just, that's just my thing on prayer. And I, I would just say how to pray for our city and stuff like that. Um, I think going to those connections and humbly asking, not, you know, in the same way that you know, but you never come to somebody and say, how can I serve? And they're like, no, no I don't want anything to do with you. In the same way, I've never had, if, as a pastor, you know, a go-to line is, how can I pray for you? And I've never had anybody <laughs> say, you can't, don't, I don't want your prayers, and it's like that. Uh, I, I think, I don't know if you ended those interviews with saying, how can our church pray for y'all? Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but to ask the city, ask them, how, how can we be praying? I'd love that. Ask Mayor Gray. We got a we got a church of of, of eleven hundred people that are committed to praying for the city. How can we pray? Mm. And and let them share their prayer requests. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. good. Yeah, my uh, I've thought about this a lot. My my neighbor, as many of you know, is Billy Henderson, and and uh, we have a phenomenal. He's a pastor in town, and and he's been here since the mid seventies. And he's he told me. When, when Marshall launched his church out, he said, I've been praying for 30, 40 years that God would plant 100 churches that love the city. And so yes, last night, he and I prayed in his backyard for his father, who's 91, about to die. And he said, I said, what have you been, he said, what have you been doing this week, Will? And I said, I told him about this conference. He was like, that's what we've been praying for, churches who would get engaged in the world. So you've got this combination of prayer and then walk up on the stage two nights ago and our pianist is David, who is friends with uh, Justin, and he's planting a multiracial church downtown. And he's part of our uh, group of worshiper, uh, worship leaders this week. I just, what, we, what we have is the momentum to, to partner with some folks in the city, and people are praying for that. So I think prayer is a, 
a vital part of that. So thanks for that. Okay, last, last question. Um, several times it was mentioned engaging the city storyline. Uh, and you talked about that. Um, how do we do that practically? And then does a church also need to engage its own storyline as it fits alongside the city storyline? Uh, does that make sense? That we didn't, we didn't, this church didn't just come up in a vacuum either. It grew up in the city. Do we, it, does the church go through that same process of, of seeing its evolution? We've been here 30, 30 years as a church. Uh, so how do we, how do you engage the city storyline and disrupt it and re, I don't know, dismantle it and restore it? I think that's the words you used. Same with the church. Is that, does that have to happen with a church that's got a history as well? I think the church needs to be rooted in the uh, canonical, redemptive, one-story plot line of scripture and history. Right, so, so God's doing his work. That is the, uh, the stage for the drama of redemption. Jesus is the main actor. And so the spotlight's on him. And he's allowing us to kind of have very, very small uh, roles and responsibility to be able to uh, work uh, for this cause. So I am not suggesting that everything that we do is determined by the storyline of the culture. The, the, the reason why I mentioned that was because in order for you to exegete your culture well and your city well, you need to find the point of reference. And, and, and I'm fully aware that the scripture will address those hopes, values, dreams, fears, aspirations, ethos. And, um, and, and so I would also say that the storyline of TCPC yeah, I don't know the history, uh, might not necessarily align itself very, very clearly in every area, not only with the cultural storyline of the culture, right, that's obvious, but also <laughs> with the one-story plot line of God's uh, redeeming work. It's quite possible that in the history of this church that you could have been paying attention to some other things that are not terrible, but that's not essential and central. And so not only do you have to align in addressing the storyline of the culture with the plot line of God's work in redemptive history, but you also need to align things that might have been somewhat misaligned in the history, the ethos, the value, the fears, and the, the dreams of TCPC. I'm not, I, I, this is not an accusation. I'm just saying. Please tell them that I didn't tell you to say <laughs> that. And, and, and we have not had any conversation about the history of the church. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to get defensive. I didn't say, <laughs> I didn't say that that was the case. No, he, no Robert hasn't. But, but I'm just saying that, that, that that's, uh, that's a possibility. So not only do you need to align the, the culture's vision with the storyline of, of Scripture and, and what God is doing with redemption, uh, but, but I think also the history of the church. And so this is what's great about having a robust, holistic, non-reductionistic view of the gospel about his coming, his dying, and his rising. You need to take it as a whole. 
And that's why when we talk about the four ministry fronts, it's integrated and balanced because it is the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the effect, it is the, the result of how your community is being shaped by the gospel in a holistic way. Traditional churches only focus on evangelistic worship and community development, right? They always have. And liberal progressive churches have always, or, or mainline denominations, and the more progressive emergent uh, left-leaning progressive evangelical millennials, they tend to do better with the, the justice and mercy piece and possibly the integration of faith and work. But what about, what if you have a church that cannot be categorized as being emergent or millennial or, uh, or conventional and traditional, you're just the church? that has a balance of all these four ministry fronts, so you cannot be categorized, then God would be very pleased with that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's healthy. I, I, you know, um, I think you know, we, we talk a lot about um, repentance around here and its need. And I, 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 you know, I think, I think uh, we, and this goes back to our tradition, um, we, on, we typically think of repentance only in... Um, individualistic terms, um, but um, in the same way that God has called me to constantly look at my life, um, remove the plank in my own eye, um, be the chief repenter, all those different things, um, I think that applies on an, on an institutional horizon as well, that an institution um, is always needing to self-assess itself and uh, think critically about itself and um, humble itself. Ask other, ask other institutions, ask the city, ask you know, new people who are new to our culture and um, have fresh eyes. People like you come in, you know, just say, "What do you see?" And beauty, the beauty and the brokenness. I, I mean, I, you know, you, I, I, you know, history. I, it's it's interesting, um, and this is for those who've been around forever. You know, I. I think, I haven't talked to him recently, but I think Al uh, Lutz, who's the founding church planning pastor, um, he, he's in Chattanooga now, um, retired, but I, I, think he would, I think he would look at something like this in a discussion like this and say, wow, uh, this is beautiful. Um, you know, the first thing he did when he came here is called the hair leader and say, I'm starting a church. I want you to come out here and cover it. <laughs> And uh, so, I, you know, I know, I know Sartell would, would say the same. Um, so to honor that, to appreciate that, and, and then also recognize that institutions have histories and growth and change and all those things and, and graciously embrace that um, is, is, is really important. So I don't know what we're talking about, but yes, I think it's really important for, for an institution to look at its story, look at its history, and corporately repent where we need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so part of what's in my mind with that question is, <clears throat> you know, uh, I've spent a lot of time the last couple of years swimming in the storyline of racial uh, disharmony, uh, racism. Um, and to, to see southern states, institutions in this secular world recognize the systemic issues of racism over the last few years has been refreshing. And so that's part of what I mean is you, right. you see the city storylines think of an issue like race. The church also has a story of that, you know, so uh, 
so there seems to be a, a parallel tracks that, that at some point that the storylines of the city, whatever they are, as they as we learn those and shape those, our church also is flavored that. And I, I, that's one of the things I, I love about our congregation is the the robustness of the gospel has led us for 30 years to, we know we're not a complete and whole church, or we'd be in glory. We, we, we fall off the, the horse in one way, to use the cultural relevant mm-hmm. parallel there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, practi- uh, I'm preaching in one service tomorrow, thankfully. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm gonna share with you a point and it's, it's my way of, because uh, uh, I don't have time, uh, rehearsing my sermon uh, for tomorrow. But uh, the book of Proverbs has three different uh, Hebrew terms for a fool. One is the generic word fool, usually understood as a stubborn fool. Uh, second one is the word that's usually translated uh, in the English as simple. Uh, that's the simple fool. Uh, and the third one is uh, translated either as mocker or scoffer. That's the ruthless fool. So, so the book of Proverbs is essentially saying that we're, we're one of the three, okay, because we're all fools. And, and when you look at, these, aren't, these are different types of people. So a simple fool is somebody who just, I mean, they all think that whatever they think is best, that's just the way uh, they think that life should operate that way. This is the way I think, and I'm not going to be open to other people telling me what to do, and this is the way I'm going to do it. It gets expressed out differently. But as I was looking at that, I, I said, for my congregation and for Boston, there are a lot of mockers, a lot of scoffers, because you know what the scoffers are? They're very sophisticated, intelligent, and competent. So, so these, are, these are ruthless. They, they are focused. They know what they want to do with their life. So they're willing to cut off friendships and relationships in order to accomplish that. Ruthless. But uh, Proverbs says, that's a fool. So that, so that, that can be a very uh, a modern fool who says, you know what, I, I don't need other people to speak into me. I certainly don't need God to speak into me. I have all the facts. But on the other hand, you can also be a traditional fool too, who says, oh, this is the way we've always done it. So you take, you take the issue of poverty and you have an overly simplistic view of the poor. So, so you have uh, uh, people who are uh, left-leaning who say, you know, um, I think it's just, it, we have major systemic issues and we certainly do. So we just kind of provide some sort of resolution for that and then we're, we're gonna get rid of poverty. Or you have people on the right who said, no, it's probably more of an individual responsibility and they really uh, weren't working hard enough. The opportunities were there. They're both fools. You, you have a modern fool or a liberal fool and you have a traditional fool or a conservative fool because the issue of poverty is far more complex than that if you've spent any time with poor people. So, so, so the Bible is saying, don't get into a place where you are mm-hmm. rigid in your thinking and say, this is the way it ought to be done. That's not a wise person. Mm. That's a foolish person because they don't trust in the Lord, but they lean on their own understanding yeah. in, all your, in, 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 mm. in all their ways. So I think that when we think about these issues of culture, as we think about the storyline and all that, if we, have the un, if we have an unwillingness to be taught I mean, have you ever thought, you know, I don't understand this racial culture. 
Maybe I should befriend someone or invite that person and host that person and saying, I have a certain view of, of your racial culture, but I want to learn. Can you, can you teach me? Can you speak into me? Believe me, they would be more than happy to share. <laughs> but, but we don't have the humility to do that. So we're just going to kind of take the sound bites, the political persuasion that we are aligned with, and then just kind of get the sim overly simplistic, foolish interpretation of that. We need wisdom. Wisdom is lacking. We need wisdom. So uh, thank you for allowing me to do that. If, if, if the, my point got clarified in my mind. But, now you're ready uh, to preach. Yeah, yeah. So, now you're ready to preach. You want to keep going? <laughs> I'm still working on the second point. It's <laughs> uh, good. All right. I think, that's a good, I think that's a good stopping point. I just, I was, just as you were talking, the, the, the passage in 1 Timothy, uh, here's this uh, young pastor in a blue, booming Ephesus trying to lead the church and Paul's writing back to him and he, in the end of chapter 1 verse 17 he says to the king of ages immortal and visible the only wise God be honor glory forever amen that, that just as you were speaking about where does that source of wisdom come it comes yeah. from him who is all wise and so uh, I think perhaps that's where we should end is let me just lead us if, if I can have that privilege of leading us in a prayer to say, Lord, we've heard a lot, we've felt a lot, we've experienced a lot, you alone are wise. Uh, we don't wanna be a scoffer or a simpleton. Uh, we don't wanna be either of those, so uh, help us to do that. So I'm gonna pray that. We need to pray for our brother that he can make all his connecting flights back to the uh, abysmal Northeast weather. 48 degrees, not bad. Ah, yeah. Uh, so that he can preach at his service in the morning. So he's got long, long, long flights. Uh, and then, and then our, uh, our, I just wanted to throw this out. There's 50 elders, deacons, and candidates that are meeting tonight for dinner and discussion with him. 50 men that God has raised up in this church to lead for the downtown church, for this church. And I just would ask you as a congregation to, to pray for us. That's a significant number of men that God is raising up to lead and think and be a part of this movement. So uh, pray for us, if you would, for the next few hours. So I'm going to offer up those prayers and um, pray for you, brother. Thank you for being here. Uh, and then pray for our church. So, um, and I'll pray for worship in the morning too. What a great time it's going to be to come together and, and celebrate around some of these things. So let's pray. Father, you are indeed the only wise God. You are the only one who is eternal, which means you are not affected by time and space. You are not limited in your physical location. You're not limited in your sight. You're not limited in your power. You have all power. It is said about the Lord Jesus Christ that he upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. The lamb before the throne has seven eyes and seven horns and seven spirits. He is omniscient and omnipotent in all ways. So we are humbled to be called your sons and your daughters. Uh. Lord, we need you to make us wise in this day and age. We fall off so many different ways in our preferences and our personalities and our training and our upbringing and our education and our 
experiences and we need you to align us with your heart. So pray for wisdom for our church. Pray for us as parents to be wise in how to raise our children. Pray for us as men and women who work and play and eat and shop in this city that we'd be wise. Lord, I do pray for the, the next few hours as the men that you've called in this church to lead as elders and deacons and servants, Lord, that we would be overwhelmed with a sense of privilege and humility that you would call us to this and help us, Lord. Help us to be wise servants this church, wise shepherds. Lord, I pray for our friend and brother and uh, Dr. Um as he travels tonight. Um, I pray that he'd make it home mm. and uh, with the energy and the hope encouragement that he needs to do his calling in the morning. Bless his travels. And Lord, bless all of us, the church in Boston, the church in Lexington, the church in Scotland, the church in Africa, the church in Thailand, as tomorrow, some even tonight in their time zone, will gather around the, the word of God, the worship of of God, Lord, we want to worship you and hear from you tomorrow. We believe you've called your people to congregate so that you might do something transformational mm -hmm. in us so that the nations would know of you. Mm -hmm. So, Lord, as we finish this Saturday and look to the resurrection day in the morning, inflame our hearts, yeah. empower our praise, equip us what we need. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.